Stupid Hearts Club is yours to enjoy for free wherever you get your podcasts. But if you've fallen deeply in love with the show, or me, even though that's a bit weird because we've never met, then you might want to consider supporting the show via patreon.com forward slash stupid hearts club for about five or a month you can indulge in your sick little fantasy that i am your very own little audio husband friend without ever having to deal with the fact that in real life i leave socks and half drunk glasses of water everywhere either way i'm very happy you're here so please enjoy the show Stupid Hearts Club with me, Nico Tatarovich, and this week's guest, Wendy Wayson. She's a comedian. Hello, it's me, Uncle Daddy, Mr. Nicholas, Captain Seaside, Mom. I just want to say before you listen to the interview that I... I'm sorry it's a bit echoey, but it's all right. It sounds all right. But the thing that isn't all right is my terrible habit. It must be, I must have kept banging the table or something. So, you know, when I do my mic arm accidental flick and it goes boom, boom, that happens a few times. I'm really going to try and learn to not do that. But anyway, it's a really lovely chat, so I just thought I'd apologise if the audio is a bit annoying. Um, but you're going to love Wendy, she's ace, I really love talking to her, and uh, I wish I could be absorbed into her family. Goodbye. Hello, Wendy Wason. Hello, how are you? Alright, how are you? Yeah, thank you for joining me. Not at all. It's nice to be here in this large echoey room. Yeah, we're in a large echoey room that will probably make the audio slightly odd, but... In an agency that seems to be doing rather well. Yes, we're in... Where we are is in Curtis Brown, which is where my my writing agent is based, and it is a bit swish. But basically, I've been uh, on the books here Uh for... Some years now, since Ligia moved over here, like, I don't know, two or three years, uh-huh. three, four years. But of course, we've had a, a pandemic and also just like, don't know about you, but nearly everyone I speak to in our industry has got not a lot. Not and it's a lot. very odd. Well, they're, they're sort of slowly coming back, but it's sort of, it feels like it's gone back in time to people that were getting a foot in the door and doing a little bit more interesting stuff. They're sort of the same pool of actors that seem to be... Mm busy again and writers that are getting pulled back in but right you know obviously nobody's writing at the minute or if they are writing no one's admitting it <laughs> well yeah i mean that over here you are legally allowed to be writing we're not on strike are we no but there feels like a bit of a solidarity thing going on doesn't there really like so in terms of not well obviously you wouldn't want to be like covering for someone who's striking exactly. but i've not heard anyone i don't know I mention don't know that, that scenario no I just, it, it's funny because I'm like, yeah, in solidarity with the writers, I will continue not getting any yeah, work. Yeah, I will continue to not earn. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Like I'm with you actors, guys. When actors go on strike, you're like, well, 90% of our union's out of work at any point. So, yeah. yeah. It's like, what do we want? Like, anything, please, <laughs> just something. What do we want? Not to be a waiter. When do we want, want it? it? Any, Anytime, like, really. Any, no, any, yeah, just... <laughs> Ideally not on weekends, but actually no, don't, no, I, I'm fine with weekends. I know, but it's a bit like, I got like some castings in this week and uh, they're all self-tapes, which is great, but um, I think I'm, sometimes I'm better in the room than I am just sending a tape through because you get a bit more of your personality through the Yeah. Um, yeah, they see your vibe, through. don't they? Yeah, but then another tape came through and I was like, oh, for goodness sake, I've got another, that's three this week. Really? And my daughter was like, mum, is that not a good thing? 
And sometimes you have to reframe your thoughts from mm. like, oh, I'm going to do yoga, and then I'm going for a swim, and then, oh, mm, work's like, oh, coming. God. Great. Right, now I've got to try and do something. Yeah, I've got to put makeup on. <laughs> well, the thing is, you do fall out of the habit of sort of like, I mean, I, I have to re- I've really been thinking about this, and it got really bad because, because it has been, because of the pandemic and it being quiet and, you know, last year I was a little bit of a mess and I wasn't very well and I've moved and try, basically trying to figure out how to survive because there isn't enough of this work anymore, really. And I think also, like, you need to be really kind the way you talk to yourself. So yeah. Even saying, I was a bit of a mess. Yeah. That's not helpful, though, because that suggests you can tidy that up and that's not, it's a process, isn't it? Yeah. To be fair, um, that is, although I just said that, I... I have been really consciously improving that, all that stuff. And actually was like part of what I was thinking when I said to you before, oh yeah, I want to talk about compassion a bit today. Yeah. And I think I have said it before on, on other episodes where I do a little mental health check-in or I've had, I've had a therapist on and there's just been times where it comes up. Yeah. And, um, and I've been giving this advice to other people as well. Is and because it's made a difference to me, is not just not being, not just stopping yourself when you're being, oh, you dickhead, you know, because you, you should stop doing that if you can. It's actually saying out loud the bit that counters it. So I actually did it the other day where I was like, actually, no, you're not a dickhead. I think you're doing really well. Yeah. You've been through a lot lately and look, you're firing on all cylinders and you're trying to make things happen. Yeah. Take that back. I was like, all right, sorry, I didn't mean to call myself a dickhead. It's all right. <laughs> I'm not going to fall out about it. Okay, this has gone a bit weird now. That's all right. <laughs> Have you done that thing where it's quite useful, like when you're going through a wobble, is to put, especially now that we're your parent, a parent, mm. putting a picture of you as a kid Aww. close by, so then you get to parent that little, that Aww, that's your, cute. the inner child. So every so often, so when you're talking to yourself, you're not talking to full-blown man. Mm. You're talking to the wee boy there that's Absolutely, still inside yeah. there. So when you think, and that, I guess that's why sometimes like. I have, like, have done a lot of work when I, I'm from a family where everyone talked quite a lot mm. and talked over me. So as a kid, I sometimes felt like it didn't, what I said didn't matter. Mm. I don't know if that's why I've eventually gone towards a job where I hold a microphone mm. and good yeah. luck talking over me. <laughs> but um, so sometimes it's quite triggering if I'm in a room of people and everyone's talking over me and I can suddenly feel like Shrink. I can feel myself shrinking going, you don't matter. You don't matter. You have mm. no place here. Mm. But then that little girl does have a place here and I'm the one who can say, yeah, you do. you do. And I understand that you felt like that, but it's okay now because, yeah, and I, yeah, I honestly credit lots of things that I changed since last week, since last we spoke. But yeah, one of them is just the relationship with myself in as, and I mean literally out loud, like, and, and uh, what you just described, I've been uh, familiar with that from going through therapy or whatever by, you know, you might have had a, there might have been a session here and there where, where that, idea of that child was brought into the room and, yeah. and and that was really useful but probably for a long time I just thought that's something I did then in that therapy session but now I realise that the whenever the whenever your little self uh, what's the word self-limiting little hurdles that have been around you forever come up that remembering to do that is a really good way of lowering them and mm. I don't know whether you would I mean, the different disciplines that might refer to it a different way but are you familiar with the phrase reparenting i'm not familiar with the phrase reparenting because that's that's the the context in which i've seen it most recently mentioned and it it works really well that i remember to do it because i've seen it called that it's that well during the the course i was doing with um, neuroscience and psychology of mental Mm. health and neuropathways neuropathways are such a big focus Mm. So it is that sort of turning left rather than going right. If you automatically just turn right and go, you're an idiot, you're a dickhead. Mm. And you go, hang on a minute, I'm not going this way anymore. I don't go yeah. this way. I take a different route. I yeah. don't have a cigarette now. I don't have a drink now. Mm. I don't beat mm. myself up. I turn left. And exactly. It's a different neural pathway, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and the weird thing is that I can confirm that doing that has literally lowered my anxiety so good and so lowered the lowered the time that I'm stressed about something I mean literally in the middle of the night I can wake up and still gonna go Jesus Christ I've only got 500 quid in the universe yeah and then I'm like well hang on a minute now I can feel my my body there's a reaction happening these thoughts are happening 
they don't necessarily reflect or anything that I'm projecting about the future is just a fantasy because you don't know what the future is. So all you know is this is the middle of the night. This is not something you can fix now. Yeah. And actually you're doing your best to fix these problems. And actually you're still here. This isn't the first time that you've had only had 500 quid and you're still here. Yeah. So you are still going to be here. And, and then and I'm like, so I knew all that forever. But, but now I'm able to... It's interesting to observe that feeling. Why are you feeling that? What is it else that sort of put you on a wobble to make you go, shit, I'm going to go private? Do you know what I mean? Something, there's always something, there's always a sort of um, a, a thought that sends you down that path. Because I was talking to the kids about it yesterday, actually, about being a verb and not a noun. Mm-hmm. So stop being a di- stop being dickish. Mm-hmm. That's the sort of, that's the act of being it. It's not mm-hmm. you're not mm-hmm. a noun. You're a, you're you're a verb. You're uh, to write. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. need to be writing. You're not, you're not just a writer. You're a, mm-hmm. you're writing or you're mm-hmm. reading or you're mm-hmm. you know moving towards something. You're not just. So I'm not a wanker. I'm you're just... not a wanker. You're just wanking. <laughs> <laughs> but you currently aren't. So there you go. You're not. At the moment, I'm not one. Wait. Wait. That's a win. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that today. I just think it's really important to focus on being the verb. The verb, be the verb, that's a great one. Yeah, that's really good. And this stuff, because because I went through that like serious dip and uh, it must have been strange for my son to see that and he's been having a rough time in a different way as well. What is brilliant is when I see him or when I talk to him, I'm not having to kind of like put on a big false smile and say, I'm, I'm gonna be all right in that way where they, you look deranged, but you're saying you're gonna be yeah. fine. He's now actively watching me own the process of trying to okay. improve things and then be able to share with him, oh, I'm excited, guess what I'm doing this week and da 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 and remember how I couldn't do that? Well, I started doing that and then I started hanging out with those people and now I feel better because I feel more connected to people and da da da. And he's watching going, he knows that I'm saying it sort of for him as well. But it's also a lesson you have to learn, isn't it? Like, yeah. kids are so brilliant at sport. Like even when I first split, when I split up with my ex-husband, I tried to keep so much from my kids because I didn't want them to think I was a bit, you know, I didn't want to see any bitterness. I wanted it to be a fine separation and divorce, whatever. Mm. But what they imagine in their brilliant heads is so much worse than anything you can tell them. Mm. So it's better just to tell them mm. because it's boring. It's like I'm feeling sad today, but I'll be happy tomorrow. And the act of feeling sad and fixing yourself and feeling happier mm. is a life lesson that your kids yeah. need to know. You're right as well. It's not not only is it that, but it's also it pops the confusing mystery cloud bubble of the version of it that their head might run away with. Yeah, and, yeah. That, and often, is it me? Is it the mm. centre of that, that cloud for them? Yeah, and, and when, I, when I communicate with my son, who's now, gonna, he's going to be 15 in December. Wow, exciting times. For various confusing reasons, he's not been in the education system for over three years. But... It's so I've been worried common. sick about him. It's very common, though, since Yeah, I know it is at the moment, especially. <clears throat> but recently, like, a few lights have started going on that maybe I've, I've thought, because he's not in the, in the routine that he would normally be in, that I've been worried that his brain isn't going to be... You know, socially, he's not doing the same things where he'd be getting to a more mature place. Mm-hmm. But it's stuff coming out of him that I can see, you know, his his awareness and his mind growing and he's still taking things in even if it's via bloody YouTube I'm just really hoping that since the pandemic and these kids that have um, found going back to school challenging, I'm really hoping there's a whole shake up with education because mm. kids are educated in one way and I don't and it's the people who would learn from one person standing at the front of us of yeah. our room lecturing to you yeah. they've won the education sort of route and yeah. that doesn't work for my middle boy like we thought mm. he couldn't read we thought he couldn't mm. read for years and years and years until we figured out that he thought the chip, the Biff and Chip stories were so fucking boring. Mm. He wasn't interested. So yeah. we bought him a Guinness Book of Records. Turns yeah. out he can read. Yeah. Really interested. Really interested in facts. Mm. Doesn't want to see Floppy and Biff and Chip and all those shit. Well, sorry, Oxford Reading Tree, but yeah. they're not the most interesting books for people that have got quick brains that don't want to learn like that. But you're right, it's always been, this is the standard, this is what we're all doing, and then you are rated as to how well you fit into it. They thought they were sort of measuring how good you are and how proficient and how, I guess, diligent and all that, but you're right, it's do you get on with it or not? Yeah. Just like we don't get on with, you know, you don't have a certain another career because it wouldn't suit you. Yeah. So this whole idea of wherever the whole journey of 
I mean, neurodiversity is so massive at the moment, but it's as so, that's it's growing... It's so fascinating, and it's a super, like, different... Mm. Neurodivergent, I think, is a superhero skill. I mm. don't think it's, like, divergent. I just think it's, yeah, yeah no enormous, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the, it feels like at the same time as everyone's catching up on realising how many people have got a brain that works differently, it's like the awareness of that that could be worn as a sort of condition or a thing that limits you or whatever, it feels like hot on its heels and, it's, and I think it needs to take over is exactly the attitude you just said, which is get past all this sort of labelling where it's like, oh, I've got this and it means that I'm that. But actually realising that we need to reshape how we dish everything out so that yeah. the people who aren't like, that don't fit the way that original system was designed, you know, there's now like a more complex system yeah. that makes room for everyone. And like ADHD, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder, like there's things like when you're dealing with kids that, that, are, that are, have that challenge you give them sort of like simple instructions rather than a big long explanations because exactly. it's called hyperactive. It's not like they're, yeah, yeah. they're taking everything in. Yeah. So you want to slow down the instructions. It's like stand up, no, brush your teeth. It's not like if you go upstairs to the bathroom and the left hand side is a blue toothbrush, put some toothpaste oh, in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm they're already, like, I'm out, I'm I am out. Mm. So it's like short, it's like understanding how you communicate. <laughs> how you communicate to people who take information in differently. Yeah, I'd say that is, is, is a, big, a big part of it. Although my middle boy used to take him, I'd be like, eat healthily, eat healthily, eat healthily, wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. See some twat on YouTube that's mm. like 15 and has got a channel mm. with a million subscribers. Mum, mm. apparently I have to have salad, at least. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, really? So some TikToker <laughs> says it's a good idea and suddenly your mum could make sense. <laughs> Just someone with a fringe said it, do you so know what it now counts. <laughs> someone with like a, everyone did the One Direction twitch yeah. when they were on tour and their hair got so long they just spent the whole time twitching their fringe <laughs> out the way. There, there was, yeah, there was a, there was a, a period, wasn't there, where every YouTuber had like a big sort of. Do you remember them sort of two thousand and nine haircuts Lots that of everyone seagulls, had? As we'd call them. Terrible. Yeah, terrible, terrible, terrible. I mean, it's never, it's never, it's weird fashion, and it? it's never. You don't ever have to look back that far. It feels like quicker. Like you look back like six years now and go, fucking hell, what well, were we doing? We were talking about my hairdresser earlier on. He um, used to like he did One Direction's here, wow. and he said they'd go on tour and get to the point where they'd get the twitch where they were just flicking their fringe out their hair so they had to get their hair cut when the twitch set in because they were so busy flicking their hair out their eyes. I love it that you've got a pop star hairdresser. Well, he's not a pop star, but he has, he has cut pop star's hairs. Yeah, that's what I mean. Hairs, hair. A, 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 yeah. A, 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 yeah. Hairdresser to the stars. <laughs> and Wendy Wilson. And Wendy. <laughs> and Wendy from Although the Although he comes to my house and I hold his baby while he cuts my hair. So really? It's not quite as rock and roll. That's pretty sounds. posh. Is it? Yeah, I think it is. Well, just because he, he doesn't work well in a salon, but he loved mm. he worked in a salon for a long time and worked yeah. opposite the BBC, so did all sort of Radio 1 kids, and then after pandemic worked better not in a salon. You did not, you did drop, well I dropped the name, but you said that you shared a hairdresser with the person I mentioned before, would you like to say who that was? No. <laughs> <laughs> really? No, it's not, not Gal he has not Gallagher. No Gallagher. Anne Hein. Anne Hein. Um... I'm saying that. Me. We're not going to say his name. Please let me out. We're not going to say his name because he's going to kill me anyway. Really? <laughs> Just name dropping his clients. All right, yeah. Oh, yeah, all right. It's probably not a good move. But well, there's loads of Noel fans out there, so they'll probably get a load of messages now saying, uh, can we have his number? I want his haircut. <laughs> I had that haircut between about, well, various Guys, shoddy versions yeah, yeah. of that haircut in between probably 1995 when I just went, right, that's it, that's who I want to be. Yeah. Straight away, zip the coat up, brush the hair forward, and then monkey walk Swagger. down the road. Swagger. And then, uh, and I didn't change out of that sort of mod Oasis Beatlesy style until 2013. And I know when it was then, or 2014 actually, because it was when I was newly single and I was looking around and I started realising that I was like ageing with all these like Britpop dads. I just thought I need to fucking oh, really? get out of here. I've always known you with that hairstyle. Yeah, well, I uh, I remember getting my hair cut on. I think it was in Soho, and it was like she was quite an, quite an, uh, it was a lady, and she's quite she's quite old for a hairdresser in Soho, but she was just like not she'd the, seen not the it one all. Casting a version. Uh, well, like yeah, I probably sat there and thought, oh well, she's not going to know what to do. It's like yeah. Doris putting a she's putting really one of those set about forty five <laughs> permanent set on my head. But yeah. in fact, she was like, I've got an idea, and she sort of like parted my hair down one side. And there was like a silver streak and we both went 
there's your guy. There's the next yeah. album. And uh, right. I never looked back. And now I look like uh, a sort of hybrid of um, Billie Jean King. No, I looked like Billie Jean King when I had the Oasis. I thought I looked right. like Oasis, but, but I looked like Billie, Billie Jean King, King or Rose Aww. West. Rose West. <laughs> right. She had great hair to be fair. Great hair. Great hair. Good pool player. Good <laughs> and oh, and now I look like oh, I don't know. What do you think? Because there's a bad the bad end is Rolf Harris. No, I don't think it is. It's a bit funkier than that. I mean, it's, no, it's, it's the idea is good, yeah. but it's just funny. Like when you leave the house, going, I've done it. I'm whoever you know, fucking Richard Hawley or like whoever it is yeah. you're trying to trying to vibe with, and then you'll see yourself like in a in a, the window of a van as you walk up the road. Yeah. And you go, oh, fucking hell, I look like Rolf Harris. <laughs> I don't think it like In a van. Can you tell what it is yet? <laughs> it's a fully blown van. It's a paedophile haircut. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, so I wanted to ask you, because when we chatted, because obviously the reason I initially, like, we hung out and we, we had a beer in Soho when we were all there once, and, oh, you're doing comedy. Yeah. And so, like, you were then saying that you were off training on sort of psychology stuff but then also that you had like another job thing going on oh yeah and since then I have seen that recently I think you put up a thing you'd done like a comedy gig again so like I don't really know where you're up where to and what you're up to so I worked in a tech I brought, got brought into a tech firm during after lockdown I got suggested and I thought it was really inventive that they brought in a tech firm that their feature the, the sort of feature of their business was a thriving tech company but they didn't really gel together well and didn't chat much right. so they brought me in to sort of mix things up and create more of a cross department mm-hmm. information sharing mm-hmm. but it's a corporate environment so I was like head of brand and communications mm-hmm. um, and I was there for about a year I, saw, I first got there and I was like I, I kept the fact that chipping in and saying what I thought in board meetings but then I'd get quite a lot of, well, we don't do it like that here. Mm. And I remember being like, yeah, but you, you want to do it differently and that's why I'm here. Mm. And also it's quite different for me because I don't really understand the corporate hierarchical system. No. So I'd be going to the CEO, I've set up the system to order merch and you're the one that's bypassing it, what's going on? Mm. And like ask the CEO questions. And I remember him saying to me once, Wendy, in this company, we delegate down rather than up. Which mean I'm not, I was going. Mean, don't talk that, to me. Yeah, what does that mean? Fuck I'm like on Zoom on Zoom calls saying, "What else can we take this offline?" Mean why are you saying that? Yeah. So it was quite. It was interesting. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I also learned like the corporate environment was quite unusual for me because as a comic, you, ideally you want to be the best person on the bill, mm. but you want the audience to have a nice time. Mm-hmm. So no one's going to deliberately fuck a gig. Mm-hmm. just to make themselves look good do you know what mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. whereas I don't think that's the same in a corporate environment in no. some places they, they sort of guard their own little bit of turf and you're not getting in and I'm not sharing information and I want all the everything. so I find that really mm. unusual and really strange and so after about a year I was like yeah this is I don't think this is for me. well mm. it's quite frustrating having lots of authority and no responsibility that sounds like a lot of companies yeah yeah and you're kind of like well you've brought me in this was your idea I kept saying no this was your idea so Parted that off and then got obviously got asked to do a few gigs and started gigging again. And that find that really rewarding going back to I think having a high, if you're in a creative job, mm. I think enforced time off is a good thing. Yeah. Even like and also getting paid to have that because normally my mindset is if I'm not working I'm not earning. But yeah. I was earning and I wasn't doing comedy. Do you mean do you mean um Get, get paid doing something else for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, that, I mean, really I'm in the same mood. I think it's really good for you, and I think it's yeah. really good for your art as well, because I think you get a whole new, fresh mm. look at things. You get a bit of distance. Yeah. You also, it's like you need to be in a mood with something. I'm in a mood with comedy writing. Yeah. But I know I don't hate it, and I know I don't, I don't want to fall out with writing, and I still, there's still loads of stuff I want to do, but I'm not in the right mental space no I'm not in the right emotional space with writing yeah. for now to be when the next brilliant thing happens and when's the last so. time you sort of read some like a work of fiction or just something for fun mm. even just journaling or whatever yeah it's you know it, these are all things that we fall out of the way for when it's your job I always find that I come back to myself when I get over like whatever the grumpy block is or say like after you have rejections from pitches and whatever and then you're fed up with it all and whatever and then it, that goes away but then what naturally happens is I'll see a poster for like an exhibition, yeah. or someone will say this is a good play, or yeah. hand me a book to read, and then you fall in love with the fact that someone's created a brilliant yeah. thing again, 
and then you remember that's why you like doing the thing. It's yeah. not. It's, like it's not because you're trying to earn a living from yeah. it, really. It all, it all feeds the creative juice. I think go to an exhibition, go to a concert, go to a gig, go to, you know, it all feeds it. I just think you have to put loads of stuff into the pot before you spit stuff out again. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, nourish your head. Yeah. And like away from. You know what do they want? What's selling at the moment? Because that's the bit that depresses me the quickest. And it's funny to say it in this room because obviously my agent works <laughs> in this building and her job is to tell me, right, at the moment, the word we're getting is, at the moment, they're after this sensibility. I know. Da, 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 like, whatever. Know what and it's so yeah, hard. They would never have commissioned like, stuff that we see. Someone's gone, I've got this idea. Like, we've got, I'm sure you have as well, on my laptop, I've got loads of ideas that I thought mm. that'd be cool. Mm. And even today, and I've just been doing a voiceover and they were like, uh, the, for the background, could you just improvise a TV show, a game show, and we'll, talk, we'll pretend that's on the background of the TV. So, like, a bunch of actors improvised a mm -hmm. game show, and I thought, I'd watch that. <laughs> I'd watch that. It was a, a really fun idea for a game show. We were <laughs> laughing at how easy it is, mm. but it's not. A game show is the holy grail. That's why, oh, like, yeah, you get it syndicated in the States, in Australia, mm. and, like, in any language, and you own that game show. Yeah, I mean, you look at, like, Richard Osman. Yeah. Um, and it was funny somebody said that we're going to see this on TV, on TV next year and it'll be fucking hosted by Richard Osman yeah. <laughs> and I was like yeah created by me <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be good wouldn't it if you, if you invented a game show would yeah. you host it do you know what I'd, I'd, like Anne Robinson I'd, I'd want to host it but I know my agent would be like and are you open to having a bigger name than you host it I remember I wrote a sitcom once a bigger name than yeah, me do you know I mean? <laughs> who exactly do you mean um, Richard Osman <laughs> Um, I remember I wrote a sitcom once and my agent said, and I was going to be the lead in the sitcom and my agent said and have you written a smaller part for yourself in case they don't want you as the lead yeah, and I'm hot. thinking you're my fucking agent <laughs> yeah I know you're meant to be fighting for me to be the lead and you're I telling know. me that I know it hurts doesn't it yeah might be sensible if you write a, you know, write a guy that's like the receptionist like they write a thing about like a law firm and you'll be the receptionist going oh I've dropped my coffee yeah. <laughs> No, I'm not doing that. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Uh, I, 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 was, I would be open to... I, I quite fancy doing a game show. I quite fancy doing a game show, like, exploring other languages. Because, I, like, during lockdown, I learned Portuguese. You learned Portuguese? Well, on Duolingo. So, like, I can have a co brief conversation. But now I'm doing, like, Greek and Spanish. <laughs> I love it. I thought you were going to try and, like, come up with a format that's, like, pan-English-Portuguese that is on in both countries. And it's like, it we're all going, this isn't really working, and you're there going, no, no, we can hold it together. But what I think is good is, like, there's a, we all have areas of knowledge that other people don't have. And it's some, there's something quite nice at home, knowing, a la knowing something, the answer to a question that the, the idiot on TV doesn't know. <laughs> so if you use languages, people, there's going to be people that do know mm -hmm. what that is, but you have to find somebody clueless that maybe speaks Arabic, but not, English, you know, yeah. but not French, whatever, so you can... Do you remember Going for Gold? That oh, was sort yes. of pan-European, yeah, wasn't Kelly. it? But, I mean, they all had to speak English, they didn't did, they? They did, didn't they? Yeah, a little bit unfair, wasn't it? Welcome to the UK. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> But um, yeah, I've, I sometimes have formatty ideas. I did start a document of them for a friend of mine who has that job of her company tries to like do, yeah, do more formatty, not just game shows, but like 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 one of like for example coming up with the next thing that's like The Apprentice. Oh right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like those those are alongside game shows. If you come up with one of them and it goes and it's big, like you are minted. Minted. And it actually doesn't, it's not that, it's quite good fun thinking of those shows. I think, I'd love to be in a room with a bunch of writers. I've never been in a writer's room. I always just get to write stuff on my own and then bring it to the table and then they hash it out. But I think it'd be nice just dicking about in a writer's room. But co comedians in a writer's room, that's sort of a pissing contest. Well, d well but, no, uh, it depends what comedians you're with. Like, well, yeah. yeah. But um, I wrote a, sitcom, a, a game show once called Sick. Right. And it was about how we laugh at Gallo's humour. So you had the rounds, but then you had sort of psychologists in between each round oh, explaining yeah. about the coping mechanism and how good it is for mental health. But Shane Allen, who was then at Channel 4, when I sent it to him, he was like, are you, are you all right? Because <laughs> one of the rounds was child art or child killer. <laughs> you had to decide. Who'd be. On the telly, fucking hell. He was like, I'm never going to get away with this. You'd get away with it in podcast. Kitty Fiddler on the Roof. Where you had you yeah. would get away with it in podcast. Would you? Yeah. Kitty Fiddler on the Roof. What's the other one? Scrategories. Scategories. 
Just shit drawings, really. I think you genuinely would get get uh, <laughs> people. See, the thing is, is like it's so more broad and open to what and and so niche what is going on in the audio world now. Yeah. Compared to how ridiculously regimented TV's become. It's strange that both of those yeah. things are happening at the same time. It's like there's literally no niche too small for a podcast to bubble up and become popular. I mean, I know it's not like, you're not talking about the same viewing figures yeah. as like the Cube or whatever, but so I've got very excited about the audio world in a more broad way and I'm actually feeling the bit minutes in a bit of a mood with television commissioning because it's just, it's what they want is so narrow all yeah. the time that it feels like if you're going to be putting that effort in um, to pitching and doing spec things and whatever, they're just uh, I'm getting I'm getting good intel that uh, there are lots more places to pitch things where you could be working on a project really? that is going to exist as audio. But if it's a if it's a beauty, you know, and it gets a little audience, then the TV people are going to be interested in it. So I've got an idea, I've got an idea for a TV show, and everyone thought there must be a, it should start for, as a podcast, a great podcast. But I'm kind of like. There's so many podcasts, and I don't want to do it on my own. As a comic, you write, you write on your own, you perform on your own. I like to do something with a wee team. Yeah. I think that's the appeal of TV for me, because because I, I spoke to a podcast company, and they were like, how much does your podcast have? Because I did a podcast years ago, mm -hmm. and I gave my, my viewing figures, and they were like, well, we'll only really help if you hit about 100,000 people listening. Mm. I was kind of like... Yeah, but I'm hoping you can get me there. Yeah, yeah, you're the podcast <laughs> you're company. You're the podcast company, well, I'm just the, the creator. This is all the stuff I've been trying to learn about, and so let's not like make you soft pitch an idea now, but like let's have a chat about that, because I've been, I'm now like, I've got a few other people who've had ideas, and I'm like... I've got mine all out and all written down, and each have you? written down, oh, yeah. So we'll have a chat about that, but yeah, I'm really interested in that, because it is a thriving world, yeah. and, and it is possible to get things away. Uh, in in all sorts of different ways, so we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so but yeah, I went from the um the, the during during the, my time at the tech firm, I signed up to a lockdown to do a master's uh, an MSc in psychology and the neuroscience of mental health at King's College. Wow! So I got halfway through that, and then the last two modules were statistics, so that I could get my master's. I failed the first statistics module because did you have you ever studied statistics? No, I wouldn't wouldn't be my thing. It's not. It's just like I was kind of like so basically. One of the things I discovered during doing a science uh, degree was that quite a lot of scientific theories is basically you, you decide what you think might be the case and then you look for other papers to prove mm. your hypothesis. Really? So yeah, so it's like finding like finding statistics to prove stuff and also I'm not very good at statistics. No, me neither. Can't, can't even say, say it. it. <laughs> there you go. I said that before you got there. Um, so they were like, do you want to do carry on and do the statistics module again or do you want to just take up a postgraduate diploma. So I've got a postgraduate diploma in psychology and neuroscience and mental health for so I graduate. Oh amazing. Yeah. Do you do you have like a plan that you take want to take that forward? I wouldn't mind doing some counselling. I think um comics are really good. I know people think comics are really good at just chatting, but also comics are really quite good at listening because mm -hmm. you listen and you gauge and you reassess and you listen and you gauge and there's constant feedback with comedy, isn't there? Mm -hmm. If they're laughing, carry on doing that stuff. If they're not, go mm -hmm. a different direction. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I, well, we'll see. I'm not putting any... I, I, God knows which direction the world's heading in, so I'm happy to go with it. I'm just... I've got two kids that have finished school now and one that's just starting secondary school and he's my final... He's my final project. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've got <laughs> so enough... So get him through school and then... Enough to do with that. But then, yeah, in the... Yeah, it's interesting because I do look at... If you like, life story-wise, I'm, I'm... It's helped me to go, right, you did Act 1... Act yeah. one was being young and f foolish and having lots of fun and not knowing yourself. Act two was going, right, I'm just going to define what I'm doing and whatever. And that was all like quite egoy and chasing yeah. after things that all the stuff you thought you should be doing. And now I feel like I've entered act three. And all, everything from now on is like really make sure that you're doing stuff because you feel like it adds to you adds to and you. that you're learning about yourself and learning about just like life and people and giving back a wee bit I guess because yeah. that's the thing when I've set up a film festival did I tell you this? have you? so I've set up I was, uh, you know how you, you, you must get asked occasionally to judge things and bits of writing or films or whatever I haven't actually well, that's well I've worrying. been asked to be a judge <laughs> at various different short film festivals and the like mm -hmm. and 
Not to disparage male writers in any way, but I do think men are slightly better at pushing their heads forward to get into a position that maybe women will be like, I'm not sure I can do that. Oh, yeah. Men are much better at going, well, mm. I can do that. Mm. To the extent that I've set up this film festival where at least two heads of department, heads of department, mm. have to be women. Mm -hmm. Because I don't mind hearing the male mm -hmm. voice, I just don't mm -hmm. want it to be all male. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and I, I saw a film where, where there was a woman giving birth and I was kind of like, Oh my God, I looked at the, and I, the guy who wrote it, and it was directed mm. by a man, and I was kind of mm. like, said to the writer, have you ever seen a woman giving birth? Yeah. He was like, no. Or giving birth. Did you speak to a woman who gave birth? <laughs> no. And I was like, I know, because it's not like that deep breath and a push. It's yeah, like, yeah. A, you know, it's like a zombie apocalypse yeah. when you yeah, give birth. So this is just not, so I put those things in place. I've set it up, basically I set up the film festival. It's going to be on at the Hen and Chickens Pub Theatre in Highbury. I launched it in June. I've had 50 films submitted. Oh, wow. They're amazing. The, the subject matter is just so broad and interesting and fascinating. They award the, the, the festival the 20th to the 23rd of September at the Henny Chickens. You must come along. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We've got some great judges. We've got Kate Ashfield, who's judging from Shaun of the Dead. Oh, wow. We've got um, Ollie Richards and Sally Hughes, who are both journalists who've yeah, done yeah. the film. We've got um, Jill Robertson, who's a TV director who started on Train Spotting and is now, like, she's done Harlots. Yeah, and yeah. Diplomat she directs yeah, yeah. and I've just confirmed Seamus McGarvey to um, judge the cinematography and Seamus has just finished on the Willy Wonka new Willy wow. Wonka feature and he got um, Oscar nominated for Atonement and Anna Karenina so, so, so he's got some chops yeah absolutely so you've put on like a whole program of you know so people have submitted all this stuff is yeah. it like over a, how long is the festival so the festival's four like Three days and then an award ceremony. So wow. basically, every night from like seven till half eight, there'll be screenings of all that sort of. There's a short features and yeah. there's features and there's shorts, um, and then we'll have a week Q and A at the end of it. And then on the Saturday, we'll have selected films and a wee award ceremony. That's amazing. Well done. Yeah, it's mad, isn't yeah. it? Because I said it up thinking, I don't know if anyone will be interested. But there's like loads of and so many great films out there, like films about motherless women and. And childless women and mm. like hilarious ones, films about surfing, films mm. about submarines, films about all kinds of stuff. I think it's really important because like, as someone that, the few things I still want to really write that I feel like I've got the, I've still got that beam upon it and want to do it, like cracking a brilliant screenplay, writing a novel, short story collection and a play. Those right. are the things that if I, get to a ripe old age and I've done that well. Nailed it, nailed it. Yeah. Doesn't matter even matter necessarily whether it's been made or it's been big, but if you've done it well, mm -hmm. I'll feel like, yeah, I was a writer. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And because... Be the verb, writing. Writing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I'll be a writing. I'm really excited about it. You should come along. I'm really, really excited about it because I didn't expect to get the sort of interest I've got. And no, it's great because people will be crying out to have a space to go, here's what I'm up to. And for someone to care and to put it on and then to talk about it, it's, it reminds everyone else that you need, this is what everyone needs to do to revitalise the creativity because there is this doom and gloom conversation about how nothing's happening. Yeah. But it's like, well, we've all got to do stuff then. And well, that is, really, you, you're showing... But that works. Well, I really wanted to do a film festival where there's so many film festivals I've seen, and they're like, another judging panel is the director of Sundance or the head of this film festival, the head of that film festival. But I just wanted to have people, I've been in the business long enough to know people in the industry, and I wanted to get work in front of people mm. who work in the business, but will only ever do on press. Like Ollie Richards mm. does press junkets, and he mm. interviews, you know, Timothy Chalamet and all that mm. lot. So that, that, and it's the finished product that mm. someone somewhere has selected and they've put in front of, uh, you know, with, with those audience groups where they sort of... Focus groups. Focus groups where they figure out what the right ending of a film should be. And that's yeah, not film to me. No. Film to me is something rough and ready yeah. and, you know, whatever your idea is, get it out there, make it and do it and yeah. put it in front of people. The vision of the, the person, vision. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I want to hear your voice. But you'd be amazed at how many men have entered their films. Mm. And I'm like, look at the criteria. One guy emailed me to say he thinks he'd be a really good judge mm -hmm. and sent me through his credentials because he's done a film course one. I was just like, oh my mm. God, where did you get off? The arrogance <laughs> of a man to email a woman's 
film festival and go I'll handle this I'll handle this because yeah, what we need is another guy to judge us yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, look what did you say back to him I didn't answer I was mm. like do you know what I'm not even going to dignify this with a response friend He'll probably be sitting there going, she clearly a lesbian. That probably doesn't know how to work a computer. Probably needs shagging. <laughs> My film nice. could shag all yeah. those other films. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> the one film I've not written it yet, yeah. but it is brilliant. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, well, there's plenty of ego in... Uh, this is another thing I've been falling out with in TV, really. Not creativity. I'm tre- I've been very intricately trying to separate how much <laughs> I love creativity <laughs> from... The sort of razzmatazz, the fucking the ambition and the and the industry. Yeah, it's really important because the ego part of it. It's in, it's interesting because obviously there's a lot of people who are very creative and are geniuses, and they unfortunately also arseholes with a big ego and they could be like monsters and all the rest of it. But I believe that brilliant art, even though a lot of art comes out of pain and out of difficult subjects and. Uh, Maybe people being wired a bit of a strange way, which can sometimes have a dark side and all that. I, I still believe great cool. art. People need to know that great art can exist. It's like don't wallow in the idea of like dysfunction and horror and pain and being horrible as an excuse, mm-hmm. and then you get to say it's a genius. Like I think we need to. That needs to advance. Yeah, this, the, yeah, he can be a genius, but there has to be some level of accountability. I think accountability and grace is something that is sadly lacking in society right now. We've got a government mm. who everyone keeps resigning. No one takes responsibility or accountability for anything. Mm. And can you imagine any other business where people just keep resigning left, right and centre and the person in charge just keeps mm. changing? And everyone's <laughs> fine with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so bizarre. It's like, well, that was them, so. Yeah, and like even David Cameron, one, the Brexit, oh, as far as he was going, d- and then left. Mm. Who wins and leaves? I've never, ever gotten over the fact that he literally walked away from that microphone going tumpty tumpty tum ba 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 do you remember? Yeah. Like it it, it haunts me. Like I yeah, mean regardless of whatever anyone's politics is out there, it's just definitely we're living in through this moment where I've never felt more like the contempt for ordinary people, the the feeling of them all being untouchable. But it's that thing, fucking frightening. It's the thing I talked about on your last podcast, that privileged abandonment, where mm. it's not that they don't have empathy, it's that they're physically incapable of empathy. Yeah, because right, Because they've yeah. been sent away from home at six. Yeah, right, you yeah. You learn empathy around your, your family and your peers. Yeah. No one said to them, let your brother have it. He's younger than you. No one's ever said that. Yeah, I think, I think you're right with, with the side of it that's like, you, you, uh, you know, they get rewarded for, sh- for, for working on uh, other things that are seen as qualities that are all about sort of competition and um, in a way it's not even about ability it's about ability not it's almost like as long as you can never admit you're wrong and you can argue your way out of everything yeah. because you're intelligent enough to do so then you're a, a winner and a successful yeah. person and that's a real interesting it's, thing. it's literally like you're creating psychopaths yeah and they, they, it's really good Eaton and Harrow they're really good for creating captains of industry but they're not very good for creating people that care about other people mm. And I just think it's really interesting. It's that sort of infuriating thing. You know when you're a kid and you haven't done something wrong and somebody accuses you of it and you can't justify it and it just feels so unfair? Oh, yeah. That's what I think arguing with a Tory is like. Yeah. Because they know they're right and they know they're cleverer than you and they know they're better than you. Mm. Even though you know that they like humanity and mm. understanding and empathy, but nothing you say to them is going to land. Yeah, there's a very sort of, uh, well, yeah, the grown-ups are talking kind yeah, of energy about it all. And, and the yeah. only time a woman gets to go with the job is when it's completely impossible and no one can win. And then yeah. let Theresa May do it. Violet yeah. she is, what, you know, whatever your thoughts on her. Yeah. And yeah. then she has to resign. And of course, then they all swoop in and go, I'll do it. And she's yeah. like, oh my God. It's been a very odd thing to observe the last... Uh, we should be rioting. I know. I, I mean, you know, not, not that I'm condoning violence, but, oh, come on, a little bit of violence. <laughs> we'll, we'll be arrested. We're not allowed to do that. Remember that whole thing where we were all worried in comedy clubs that we were going to be inciting to violence because mm. there was something passed in the House of Commons that we weren't allowed to see inflammatory comments that might incite a riot? Really? Yeah. I do, I do wonder, violent. what does it fucking take? For like, when you think back, like, we lived through... You know, I was a kid, but you basically saw that people go right about enough, and you saw like the minor strikes, you saw riots in deprived areas, various points, and then you saw the poll tax riots. 
And what the message I got as a young person was, even though that looked ugly and I could, like my mum would have been watching it going, oh, they've got no right and whatever. And I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. on board with that, but I could see why someone would say, oh, this is, this is like, shit, the lid's come off, this isn't good. Yeah. And people, everyone's got an opinion on it. But I at least remember looking at it thinking, people can only take so much. Yeah. It's like, that, was, that message was very clear and it felt, that felt like, well, whether anyone likes it or not, that feels like it's a, 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 a true point, expression. Yeah. Uh, that how of how people should be treated, otherwise it just pops. But I think right? they've now got generational sort of, you know. Have they bred it out of us? People. I think people have done. What's the point? People. I don't think people voted for Brexit. I think people voted for change. I don't think they yeah. realised what they were getting. They didn't, they didn't vote for Brexit. They voted yeah. for something to be not the same anymore. And. But I can't it's understand not the same how. Anymore. There's, there's plenty of anger around if you read social media all the time, every day. Every one little two-second video of like Johnny Depp looking the wrong way at Amber Heard and or vice versa, and everyone's having a big fight about what really happened forever in their lives. So like, everyone wants to fight about everything all the time, but they only want to do it in a meaningless way over trivial, mini little things that yeah. you know with no real context behind them. Meanwhile real terrible things or like un injustices or like the inequality around like the world and, and this country now is affecting all of us and yet no one is no yeah, one seems like attention. it's like where is the level where everyone goes right i've had enough like it like you know there's yeah. i know there's loads of strikes like for example today train strikes today was the first time where i've gone i am personally pissed off today because i can't get on a train like i am always pro industrial action I sort of always err on the side of understanding that the, the, worker, you know, the worker has to stand up because if you if you get rid of that we're fucked right but today I was like this literally has cost me money and could if I didn't come to town I'd lose money and now so now yeah. a bit of me was angry going oh come on fucking sort it out can't you just go around the managing yeah. director's house and smash his windows why do I have to suffer so I could feel that voice it's coming so, in but then that's that thing that's that thing about keeping the sort of proletariat in charge yeah. by getting them against each other yes like exactly traffic, divide and conquer air traffic controllers striking and mm. trains striking and who gets affected it's us it's not people with the private jets or the helicopters or their no. drivers but but even though today that sort of pissed me off a bit I still yeah on balance I'm still like so I did a little post before not that I'm trying to get any fucking credit for what my views are because people are free to you know completely disagree with them but I just from my values it was like no sort it out like I want the government to sort out like listen to the people who are striking mm -hmm. and sort something out so that everything can move on not all the pressure being put on the people striking because obviously yeah. doing it for a fucking reason because everyone's struggling um, and even again that leads back to what we're saying about uh, our industry uh, I don't understand why writers in this country have not made m a lot more noise over the years about how it works for us yeah literally the Americans are doing it and we're saying I stand in solidarity yeah. Well, that's fair enough, but actually, if I went and lived in America for three years, I'd probably make a shitload more money than I would right, here. And the writer is king in, in, in the States. The writer Imagine is being king. king. Uh, do you, on, on a sitcom, the writer is like, writers are famous in the States. Yeah, well, it's a subject that I'm slowly um, um, exploring in another, uh, I nearly called it a sitcom, another podcast that I'm creating called Anything I've Heard Of, which is, it's me doing a sort of podcast about the fact that I feel like my job sort of died mm -hmm. and then I got ill and then I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with my life? And the sort of central premise in that is I've done, put all these years into doing this thing and at the most people say, oh, anything I've heard of and then I tell them what I've done and they go, oh, no, I didn't watch that. But also it's kind of an exploration of where you go with your life when the thing that you've got good at just sort of Stops, melts yeah. a bit and yeah. It, and and yeah like I, one of the very many issues I'll be discussing and trying to figure out is why why do writers in this country accept how sort of loaded against against us it can be in terms of trying to survive and make a living and you know how and how how does everyone personally cope with the harshness of how it works so like 
The amount of stuff you have to do for free as a writer as well, that's yeah. just so unfair. Like, they're like, put a few hundred words down and send it to us. You're like, yeah. why? Because and it's happened to me three times where I've sent in a, something that I've spent maybe four days on, put mm. together a pitch, sending it in, and they'll be like, we've got something quite similar on our books. And I can't go, mm. you fucking haven't. Mm. I know you haven't. Mm. And then they don't get back to you, and then nothing comes out of the production house that is like what you've sent in. And yeah. you're just like... And things like uh, a very common experience, and you would... You, as a younger writer, I would have seen it as a win. Someone goes, we like that. We're going to have a word with someone. They come back to you and go, we're going to option it. And you go, oh my God, this this legit production company is optioning my idea, mm-hmm. which can mean, right, here's a little bit of money now, just to say, we love you, there's a tenner. And, um, but contractually, what it means is for a year, you can't go anywhere else with it. Yeah. And now, if that goes well, what will happen is they will, and I'm saying this to them, not you, I'm not mansplaining. Um, if, it, if, it, if it goes well and they treat you well that money will be like to start off you working up the idea a bit then they'll go to someone who release some money and then you'll get paid and you'll write the script and it'll be it'll take ages but you know you'll broadly feel like you're being looked after but what so often happens is that once they've optioned something they're just like cool that's like banked yeah. and no one does shit with it and then you end up chasing them a year later going, are you doing anything with my, you know, sitcom yeah. that I could have taken somewhere else? Oh yeah, we're, we're trying to work out. And, and in, in, in a lot of cases, what they've really done is they've collected, they've collected kind of like, they've got dibs on it, right? And, and it's not cost yeah, them much. And they've pulled everything off the, off the shelves that they can, and then put their own one forward. Exactly, but, but if, they, if they do that to say 12 writers, yeah. and then they go, to, and they take that bundle of stuff to a, to a, a channel and they'll go we want one of these they go oh we've got one of them and it's one of them yeah. but that means that the other 11 no one's even doing anything that just goes back over here in the chest freezer but then I, did, I wrote a sitcom about um, an air traffic controller yeah. they used to fuck pilots and then not let them land when they didn't call her back <laughs> I really enjoy the abuse of power I think yeah. the abuse of power is oh, yeah. funny yeah. and her the lowest she wanted a pilot mm-hmm. and the lowest of the low was baggage handlers <laughs> in her eyes so yeah. occasionally she'd get drunk and fuck a baggage handler do you know what I mean <laughs> I, you know. so um, uh, and I wrote the BBC optioned it and then they, made, they optioned the script and they gave me money for the script and then when I wrote it they said we're not going any further with this because uh, Matt Lucas and Dave Williams wrote a sitcom in an airport and it didn't do very well you know, just like, and that meant they mean come fly with me, right? Yeah. Which wasn't even a sitcom; it was just a and you just a, like, a sketch show. What? In in one makes environment. No, sense. no yeah, exactly. And also, this is a woman at the like I I love like you don't you, you see a lot of objectionable men on TV like you mm. see, you know I guess Seinfeld and mm. um, Victor Meldrew and mm. I think you, Hyacinth Bouquet might be the most memorable objectionable woman, but I'd like to yeah. see a woman. Just yeah, a being, piece of work. Yeah, a piece of work, like even like Ricky Gervais in the office, mm. that kind of thing. But a female yeah. heading that up because you don't often see. We, we all have examples of women we've worked for that were awful. Yeah. But I don't see many of them on telly. <laughs> oh yeah. Or married. Or that you came out. Oh, you met. Joking, mum. I'm joking. No, eh. But yeah, I'd love to see that. But there doesn't seem to be that much of an app. I mean, can who you was? This is going back a bit, but who was? Do you remember when they did Greenwing? Oh yeah. Which I thought was really funny. Some it was very marmite that. Not not everyone loved it, but I, I thought everyone it. in it was great. Michelle Gomez, are you thinking of? Was she the Scottish lady? Yeah. I thought she she gives that brilliant. energy absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, but also obviously good at her job, but a fucking yeah. nightmare. Yeah. That's why I'm yeah. like, good at your and, job, and, but a fucking nightmare. Because yeah. when men are good at a their mess. jobs, they're nightmares. They're like. You know, lauded. Mm. Well, yeah, for getting away with it. Yeah, do you think so? Um, it's a bit of a, yeah, it's a bit of a, I, I can't qualify that with that, but you know, you think of so many different characters out there, but the company generally I speaking, for. yeah, the, it, it's, I do find that amusing though, a character who is fucking just, just holding it together. But then that's everyone, and that, that's, that's, that's everyone. this, but that's certainly showbiz, everyone's blagging it, aren't they, you know? What do you think? Yeah, mainly. I remember when I, th- I remember once, and it's something that's always stayed with me. And I remember thinking, "Fuck, what chance do the rest of us have?" When I was filming, I filmed a, an episode or two of Sherlock years and years ago when Riley was mm. first born. So it must have been like nine years ago. And um, we were talking eyelines, and it was a scene with Benedict Cumberbatch, and he was looking at the camera or just left of camera, or whatever. And 
He just finished Star Trek, I think. Mm. It was Star Trek he did, wasn't it? Can't remember. Anyway, send your emails to Nico, not me, if I've got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Trekkies, <laughs> just go anyway, easier. Yeah, yeah, relax, okay, first of all, relax. Um, but he was looking at, and the, the director said to him, oh no, your eyeline's the wrong side of camera, it's this side. And he was like, oh yeah, yeah, I just need to do a bit more screen work and then I'll nail this. And he was having a word with himself about how he hadn't done enough screen work. Really? And I remember thinking, you're fucking Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> what chance do the rest of us stand? And I thought, that's how he's talking to himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and yeah, there's plenty... I think he was being humble in front of us, but I don't think he was. I was just Well, there's a lot wow. of... Wow. There's, there's equal amounts of arrogance and insecurity, yeah. and usually in the same person. I mean, I could name names, but I won't till we go to the pub. Okay. <laughs> and I tell you who else is yeah. arrogant slash insecure. I know, but it's such a bit. It's a, a, quite a male comic thing, isn't it? Like there's sort of that fragile ego, which is oh yeah, so big, but just made of glass. Oh yeah, I mean, they nearly always are. Like it's you know because it's a construct, isn't it? A, a, yeah. On top of a a false personality that's sort of it's a protection. But I don't think it's, it's a, like the same a force thing field. With female comics. Most of them I know are, are pretty sort of, they've done a lot of work in themselves. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't speak, all I know is like the conversations I have with like yourself or the deepest conversations I have with like comedy people, it's usually like Alice Lowe is a mate who I... I did Sherlock with Alice Lowe. Say again? I did Sherlock with did Alice you? Lowe, yeah. In fact, there's an interview I did for uh, I think the Sunday Herald, I was going through old press cuttings and putting them in a book because I had a big box and I was like, I need to go through this. And it's a picture of me in Sherlock, it's like Wendy Wason in Sherlock. And it's a photo of Alice. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well there you go. Right, she probably did that. She probably made she that She probably happen. made the call. But yeah, we, we have, she all, she's always, whenever I have a chat with her about films or stuff, I'm always learning a she's point of view that I would never have knowledge. come to. Yeah. And, and there is definitely, there's just definitely a different lens uh, that that uh, female creators, I think, come to it with because so much of the stuff was from a male point of view to start with, yeah. and it's been trying to like recalibrate that, hasn't it, over the last yeah. few years? And hopefully, we're all learning off each other. But I just think, yeah, the, and there's also a much more like nur- I don't know nurturing viewpoint. I think I think like when I'm in a room with women, there's lot there's lots more sort of give and take of, of, mm. of information rather than no no here I've got an idea here's the play, here's what I think it should be mm. there doesn't seem to be so much about that, that well it's like you say it's like the captain of a ship sort of syndrome some that 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 can be the problem is yeah that it's expected that someone's ultimately going to go right I'm real I'm the one that really knows what to do you've all said your bit this is what we're doing and you know obviously in business it sort of makes sense someone has to make a decision yeah. and move forward and whatever but, but I wonder if it feels like it's, it's really a, if it's a surrendering of power to sort of let someone else have an input whereas I think it's a real show of confidence and power to take other people's opinions on board and then make yeah. a decision rather than go no 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 here's what I think I would agree and the one the one most recent I won't name names on this one either but I was in a, I was involved have a lot to talk about in <laughs> I was involved in a show that got made that did have a big writing room and one showrunner. And although the person was lovely, I, I just sat there watching for a long time while, while we did this, while we all worked on this show, where I felt like everyone was saying great stuff and then it wasn't being used and the person was saying, I don't know, it's this. And it was like that cutting room floor was just covered in gold. Gold, yeah. And obviously it's just like, well, tough shit, that's the process. That's fair enough, you've got to be an adult. But it just felt like, it, uh, yeah, it just it felt weird watching a lot of talent get wasted. And, the, and the end product was not good. But experience isn't, sort of, I, I'm always amazed to sit with somebody who's been in the business for a long time and sat in lots of different areas and lots of different rooms. It doesn't feel like it's celebrated as much as youth. Youth is really celebrated. Oh, don't get me started. Do you know what I think? Yeah, oh, my God, daughter's yeah. 21 and she's like, I want to make films. She's just got a first in criminology. Mm. And I was kind of like, because mm. you're 21. And she's like, yeah, but mum, I'm only 21. And I was like, yeah, mm. but you're only 21 mm. for a very short period of time. Mm. And 
at your age, somebody who's 21 has created something. Yeah, they do like so fresh much blood. more impressive than someone who's 50. Mm. And it's gone, look, I made a film. <laughs> yeah. People are like, why haven't you made 10 by the time you're 50? Yeah, like, you, what, what this you is your first doing? one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's about, it's about the fact that I haven't done it yet. Yeah, so yeah. it's meta. Although please, I met, I met Mickey Flanagan wetting himself laughing because he got, he'd been going up to the fringe for years and years and years. I think like 10, 15, after his 15th year at the fringe, he did a show. He's on for a show. Right. Fifteen years might be might be right. like less than that. I don't know, but he was laughing because he got nominated for the best newcomer. <laughs> yeah. You imagine what he's like. Ah, my, I'm the best newcomer. Maybe that's why. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I you know I am like on a new path, even though I still see that as like the phone could ring. You'll still be writing stuff. I've got a film pitching. I've got stuff going on. But I've desperately needed to go. Right, I'm starting some new stuff because I can be new at that. Yeah. Because it's just. I think it's good to be the newbie. You've got fresh, yeah, you've got to freshen up now and again, haven't you? You've got to hit the reset button, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, I'm going to have to um, hit the reset button and then the stop button. Oh, really? Because, yeah, I've have got to leg it. we talked for an hour? We've talked for 58 minutes. Oh, my gosh. And now I've got to leg it to where my car's parked and hope to get out of there before I incur... A parking fine. A parking fine in central <laughs> London. Don't do that. Because there's no trains today, which I'm only angry about because it's the government's fault. Yes. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And you. <laughs> I wish we weren't so rushed and we could go and have a brew. Well, you can. But let's, let's meet up again and um, just see, take it from there. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Karen. Right, thanks for coming. Thank you, Remember, if you love the show in a deep and probably unhealthy way, you can help support it on an ongoing and stalky basis on patreon.com forward slash stupid hearts club. Uh, your choice. See you soon, you internet weirdos. I'm, I'm one. <laughs>